Okay, welcome everybody. Welcome back to the Sloppy Lab. We have a very, very fun uh, discussion, uh, evening teed up for you, or morning, afternoon, whatever your time zone may be. So I am here with Quickdraw. Hello, Quickdraw. Good evening, JT. Good evening, indeed. And special guest, uh, Beehawk. Hello, Beehawk. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> we are very Thanks excited. For coming on tonight. Very excited yeah, to have you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so we're going to be talking adaptive tonight, and uh, Beehawk, you were just really excited, enthusiastic to like take part in our experiments this week, and so we're really happy to have you on and and get your perspective on adaptive from you. Best of one and best of three, too. Yeah, awesome. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, we'll we probably will focus on the BO1 variant today, uh, though I will definitely definitely be uh, uh, talking best of three at some point too. So we'll see where we'll see where the night goes, um, but. Uh, but first, let's hit some let's hit some announcements. Uh, just kind of rolling some things off, give some folks some plugs. So the uh, signups for ABR season eight, eight. Am I, am I getting that right? Season eight. Hey Zach, welcome. Eight. Season eight are live. I think there's about a week left to sign up uh, as of this uh, this evening. So if you haven't already, head on over to the ABR server, sign yourself up, and well, I guess following up on on that. Uh, I'm going to toss it to Beehawk for another announcement here. <laughs> hey, uh, exciting announcement. I will be leading as a team captain this season, and I'm excited to take part in that. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Super excited. Very nice. You guys, are both, you guys are both captains. I assume you're going to be fighting over me in the first round, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, like... you're definitely up there. <laughs> yeah, the horse trading has begun, you know, where captains are wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. Uh Legit question: Do you guys ever trade picks? Ooh. Uh, no comment. <laughs> oh man, yes, that's a definite yes. I love it. And moving on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so STA STE Swindle Team Event signups for uh, closing in the month. So get over to that too. I'm excited for that one. Have a deck picked out. We're uh, we're trying to rustle ourselves up into two into two teams on the sloppy lab work side. So looking forward to that. Um, NKFL 18 and give that one a plug. I think we're going to have um, some NKFL uh, themed uh, evenings uh, coming up soon too. So uh, head to that one too. And uh, ooh, one more point of administrivia. Uh, very excited to welcome Kveld to the Sloppy Labwork team. So we are systematically, mathematically, scientifically uh, plundering the Can't Touch Disc folks <laughs> for top talent. Watch out, coming for you. <laughs> uh, three now. Yeah, so we now have not tonight, uh, Crusader, uh, uh, and Kveld fell to the list. Very cool, very cool. Polish contingent, very nice. Um, and uh, special thanks to Ultimo Fox and Critnado uh, for kind of jumping in to our uh, uh, segment on the stream this past uh, weekend for the marathon event. A lot of fun. We were super super happy to be uh, involved and. Uh, both Ultimo and Critnado uh, threw down some challenges on stream with us. I have your prizes set aside. They will get mailed out this weekend. So shout out to you for being awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, that was a lot of fun on Sunday for the revival stream, 24 hours straight. I think it was more than 24 hours, actually. Um, and then the GameFound campaign crossed 1.1 million last night, which is insane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Beehawk, we know what Quickdraw's dream deck would include. Uh, dream Unchained deck. What would your un dream Unchained deck include? 
Uh, this Logos Untamed. Uh, I'd really love to see a library access doubled up. That'd be that'd be fun. <laughs> but also, uh, I'd like to see a double key hammer deck. Ooh. Is that is that? Uh, I didn't know that was banned by the algorithm. Yeah, only one copy. Now wow. that you mention it, yeah, it's one of those things that I just hadn't thought about. But yeah, that would be that would be some nonsense. I like it. I like it. Mm. And of course, it has to have an interdimensional graft. Um, yes, pref preferably course. Maverick Dentis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Oh, what, we might actually talk about a deck that can pull off something similar to that tonight. It was in one of our shorts this week, and Hawk, you've expressed some admiration about it before. I'm not sure if you caught it this week too, but uh, mm -hmm. maybe we'll talk about that one a bit later. Okay. Right on. So cool. So we... Uh, we threw out a bunch of uh, surveys to folks this past week, uh, got a bunch of responses, really interesting responses too. I think my primary takeaway was that uh, chain binning for adaptive short is really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, even even our, our teammates, you know, we were looking at these lineups and most of us knew at least one of these decks pretty well. And I think maybe that's a good, a good kind of... Uh, uh, topic for us to discuss too is you know how bidding differs in a scenario where you know both decks at least somewhat like in a best of three scenario uh, versus a best of one scenario where you know one deck very well versus something like uh, like sealed best of one adaptive or even like um, uh, like an auction like a sealed auction you show up to your local there are six people you open six decks and you're kind of going to auction them off for chains um, so that's a scenario where you're kind of chain bidding uh, and, and really don't have much knowledge of any of the decks going in. Um, so I guess I'm curious to the folks here, folks on the chat too, if you want to chime in, you know, what's your, what's your thought process when deciding on a number to bid? Do you have specific things you look for? Do you, you know, make some mental notes? Is it all gut feel? Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I might, I'm, I'm going to let y'all chime in. <laughs> I'm wondering from your perspective first, as someone who wasn't familiar with either of these decks when you're going over these shorts, like what were you thinking? What was your uh, process for this? Uh, so a lot of it is for me, it rooted to deck familiarity. Do I have decks that I play that are similar to these? But then also I would do like a light evaluation of what mechanics are in these decks that can offset chains. So like when I saw logos versus non-logos, or if I saw like in, in this um, first matchup, Russell versus Anakim Asso, is that right? Yeah. Uh, I saw double Tau Tau Vapors, Edai, double Daughter. Like that logo suite is fire. On top of that, it has binding irons. So like those are all, and, and the double memory, those are all things that one offset chains. So even though deck quality wise, these look pretty, I mean, that looks like one of the best Dark Tidings decks I've ever seen. And I don't like Dark Tidings. So I, I would automatically not even look at, his, at it to bid on it. But seeing those, those uh, card draw effects that offset chains, that's one I would gravitate to. I'm, I'm familiar with it. Dark Tidings is still just like a wild bull to me. Yeah, I'm going to follow up on that in a few minutes about like your style 
And I think that's perfectly legit to say, like, I don't love Dark Tidings. I'm not super familiar with it. I'm not, like, I, I don't, you don't love it. So, like, you're not going to pick it. And that's totally fine. And that kind of, I think, would be interesting to talk about in context of, like, more than one correct answer to these mm-hmm. questions. You know, like, yeah. maybe someone could take a deck for six and be fine, but someone else wouldn't go above two and maybe they're both right. Yeah. Um, De- it, there's deck piloting, all that stuff that goes into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about, so I, I always look at, um, anytime I'm playing adaptive, um, and even when I'm just playing a regular, you know, Archon game against someone, if I'm getting like a two minutes to look at their Archon cord, I kind of look for the same things, like the heavy hitters. Like, I think you can kind of simplify by saying the, the decks of Keyforge, um, uh, the meta score. So like I look for hard R, I look for board wipes and I look for scaling a, it's like the first thing. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like those are the things that you really have to play around or you will be punished hard. Like if you have an artifact that you rely on and you don't realize they have a poltergeist, then it, it could cost you and you could make some misplays leading up to that. Or for if sure. like they have a, a TMTP, obviously you don't want to like burst too high if they might have it or, yeah. you know, things like that. Especially so, if you're not going to leave yourself with options, right? Yeah. Right. You want to be able to play around what your deck, what your, your deck is doing and what your opponent's deck is doing. Yeah, definitely. Like, so that's the first thing I look for in any kind of any game like this. Um, I, I consider it like my first pass. Like when I'm first looking at this stuff, you know, you only have a couple minutes. Um, that's the first thing I'm looking for is to like to know like what do I need to play around or else it's going to completely destroy me if I if I don't see it. Um, and I think the second thing for me is just getting like a feel for what the deck's gonna be doing. So count the bonus ember and count the creatures. If you see like a low low amber count, then you might realize they, they have to rely on a board. Um, and that's kind of just a rule of thumb, obviously. But if you see like a, a high creature count, then you know that you know, that they could be just trying to build up a board. And if you have like a single board wipe in your deck, you might know that, okay, they've got like 23 creatures and I've got to make sure I use this one wisely. So yeah. stuff like that is like the second second thing that I look for. Yeah, for sure. I, I look at those same things. Uh, I think those are very important, um, especially when you're going into a match where you're you're not sure which deck you're playing with. Uh, you really want to know what the outs are to play around. Um, but on top of that, I, I do look for those extra things because chains can do something that really exacerbate a deck into not being able to be played. Like I see like Anakin with 30 expected amber. That makes sense. That's a ton of expected amber, but it's only got six speed. So if that deck is chosen and it's bid on, like it could be as little as like four chains that like has, let's wrestle build up to it but on top of that spot on I just, <laughs> sorry to yeah. you <laughs> yeah like your evaluation of that deck is like really good like yeah. it's it's definitely one of the best dark tidings i've ever seen and it also really struggles past four chains so mm, that's, that's interesting yeah yeah uh on top of that though you also have to look at what i like to call tempo match so mm. if you look at the that shadow suite you've got all of these that is tempo matching like the scooped so you can capture one well you got to make sure your opponent has amber to capture on it otherwise it's just board removal uh brand uh hard simpson like all of these like are cards that rely on your opponent to have amber and if i take the opposing deck i can see that and i can build up a flood of cards after they're stuck with shadows like i know okay they they just bursted out of their shadows they don't have those cards anymore i can now 
first pass is, or I can build up a big, huge board. Because another thing is that these don't have there's 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 one board wipe in, in Anakin, and if you've already played the board wipe, you can just lay down your board, and yep. then it doesn't matter if they have triple scooped and all that stuff because you'll be able to outboard them with just yeah. reaping and all that stuff. Yeah, it definitely can struggle with uh, against the big board like that. Um, sometimes it has to hold on to the um, word of returning, you know, if there's a lot mm -hmm. of capture decks and you can't remove these big sanctum creatures. Um, so it needs something like that. Um, and like, I think the board wipe you're referring to is probably the groundbreaking discovery or the thin the herd. I mean, yeah, yeah. either of those I mean, are still like a little sketchy, you know, for board yeah. wipes. They so. are, especially, I mean, is there any artifact control in Russell? Just the Rusnar. What is that, 0.5? Yeah. Rusnar. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. The, those are things to, like, the Rusnar, um, you know, it, I'm looking at those in, like, my last pass of a deck. You know, like, if I do have artifacts and I, I see, like, okay, they don't have any hard R, um, then I'm looking for, like, okay, if I have time at the end of the evaluation period, like, okay, they got Rusnars, do they got, like, some other random creatures that can exhaust or use or steal your artifacts stuff like that mm -hmm. um that's kind of like yeah it's good to know and you can play around the stuff like the rusnar much more than you can play around like a, a poltergeist or a hawk sure for sure mm -hmm. but also i mean russell has double mimicry that's that's cool so i don't know that, it just that's such a hard card to evaluate that's a wrench yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure it's, it's interesting it's an too interesting card. I, uh, like uh, if I was going to sum that up, I'd say like, uh, you're, you're looking at these decks, you're trying to be like, okay, what's, what's the path for victories here? How do those path for victories interact with each other? What, if, what do you have to stop? You know, is there, is there a story with the creature count with the creature removal with the, um, with the bonus Amber? And I absolutely do count creatures count bonus Amber, try to get a sense for the, um, try to get a sense for the Amber control and efficiency and, and see if mm -hmm. there's like a glaring, a glaring like oh my gosh this is a rush deck and the other deck just has no amber control you know um you know or or this deck's gonna go way out on board and the board control is suspect in the other deck and kind of try not to miss very glaring um very kind of glaring mismatches in plans and tools um and then beyond that i have to be honest my like my approach is not <laughs> super scientific right it's kind of like and, and this is kind of getting at a little bit what what Andrew's saying in the chat here, like plus two decks if it's if you think they want to play their deck, you know, plus two chains. I mean, um, like in the zero to three chains range, I'm kind of like eh, this deck's better, but like maybe I'm gonna say I'm in one to two if I like don't really want to play it. And three is like okay, but I want to play that deck. But I don't know. Is there is there like a difference in your mind between two chains well, and three, or is it just kind of like no? Gamesmanship, like to you know? me, three chains is almost. Uh... Like it's a coin toss whether we're gonna pick the right deck to bid on anyway. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. I think if you're, if you're talking about efficiency decks, like Bihak, you you pointed out the logos efficiency in Russell. Um, I like we. I think JT and I have talked a lot on the side, and we're probably gonna have a lot more topics on this in the future on this podcast about efficiency and adaptive, and like what is a good adaptive deck. I strongly believe that logos and that efficiency can make a good adaptive deck because you can kind of smooth out those chains that you're you're getting. It's like the three chains for the high efficiency deck is nothing. Um, there's a deck we looked at. I think it was today's short that we posted, um, mm -hmm. where it has an auto encoder and like uh, two transporter platforms with Nell and a ton of upgrades. 
and it like, can just oh my gosh that yeah, deck I looks mean, so good <laughs> it, it, it can roll like it it can it can weather the storm with two effervescent principles and it can like get to a point where if you just stay alive in the game to shed your chains however many you started with then it's just it's going to be a machine you know like and that efficiency is like the key to it you know because you just offset those chains you still find the things that you want if you can find the auto encoder or, or their efficiency like that but yeah like i i definitely see your point on the efficiency being like a big factor in your chain bidding mm, for sure so i, I want to give some of these others a little a little bit of time as well but last last kind of question for this matchup specifically this anakim versus the magician matchup you know here's two decks they're both rated uh rated 80 on the dot you know there's mm, perhaps holes on creature control in both to an extent you know they're, the number looks respectable, but you dig in, you're like, well, key to disc is a little slow. Harbinger of Doom, okay, kind of shaky. Um, and then here, mm -hmm. well, it's like you have to assemble the groundbreaking discovery. Maybe these things get a little more suspect under chains. Regardless of which deck is better, I mean, uh, I, when I look at the results that came in, you know, we had uh, folks wanting to play the Magician for 11 and other folks wanting to play uh, Anakim for as much as 7. I mean, that's a that's a that's a wide gap. That's not like... It's like three chains difference. You know, you write it off and you say it's rounding error. I mean, mm -hmm. do you think it's it's folks, whichever, you know, right or wrong, I think that's, you know, a wider gap than you can attribute to preference or play style or, or you know, well, wanting to play. And also, yeah. you, can, you can see the difference in speed between the two is almost <laughs> 11. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder uh, if yeah, it's folks, folks kind of, putting a lot of weight on the efficiency or putting a lot of weight on maybe expected amber and and kind of I, I hard into one I, I think the people that see dark the dark tidings potential are also ones that have played a lot of dark tidings or they like that that sweet mm -hmm. or or they've they've played against it enough to be like yo this is a good deck and also that's a lot of expected amber it looks like a really cool dr director deck um but I, so I think it is the people that are going towards Russell are the ones that maybe are more comfortable with Worlds Collide, uh, that that see that efficiency difference, um, and I think that's why that they they decided to go for Russell at that for that those people. Do you remember what you bid on this one, Seahawk? Uh, I think I I bid a lot. I think I was the eleven. <laughs> Nice. Oh wow! Let me see here. <laughs> I don't remember what I bid. I I think I bid Anakin like four. Uh, I think was my bid on this one. Um, like I said to you before, like Anakin doesn't take chains super well, and Russell's a very good deck. Um, I definitely still I like Anakin in the matchup. Um, if it were straight up no chains, and you know you were saying like three chains is like virtually nothing, right? So yeah. I think this is a really close matchup and like four chains to me is probably a sign of my familiarity with Anakim over Russell. Oh yeah. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. JT, do you remember your bit on this one? I, I don't remember which it was, but I want to say I was six or seven for Anakim. Um, and hmm. the magician here, Russell, the magician here is my kind of current go-to adaptive deck. So kind of funny that uh, we had two that we were very familiar with right off the bat here. Um, and I could be totally wrong. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I've just been pounced by Anakin so many, <laughs> trounced by Anakin so many times. <laughs> we'll play it sometime. Not tonight. <laughs> we can play this one sometime and uh, yeah, see, see what happens in a best of one. 
Yeah, absolutely. Cool, cool. Well, uh, the next one's very interesting too. Um, uh, Rector versus Jersey. And I, I, yeah, we, we might have to spend a little less on each one here, but I, I don't know if there, there are ones particularly you want to take a look at. We're going to make all of these, uh, all this information kind of available after the fact. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, be hot, quick draw. If there are ones in particular or, or kind of folks in the chat, if there are ones in particular you are curious to dig into, um, we can spend a few minutes kind of digging into those. Well, I, I'd love to talk about this Rector, comp, yeah. this Rector matchup. Um, cause I think I, I, I was the one that um, said five. Uh, five for Rector or five for Jersey? Um, let me see here. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My thoughts are just like not to give Rector too many turns to set up. So, like, I'm going for Jersey, but I'm only going for five. Because, like, if I, if I spend too much time. Like, to me, Jersey looks like the better deck, like, by and large. But Rector's the kind of deck where if it just draws right, it can just combo out. Yeah. So This is a a funny one. Like, our team, these are not tonight's decks. And um, Rector is, like, you know, she plays it in every event, and she just crushes everything. And so, like, we went into this one thinking, like, oh, man, this is a trap. This is a total trap. And we like I don't think JT and I like fell for it, so to speak. I definitely bid on Rector in this one. Um but it's like I, and they've played this one a lot. Like not tonight and and you JT I think have played this matchup, right? I am not sure I've played this matchup specifically. I've played both decks uh, and there is a story here. So um uh this matchup got played I think between Not Tonight and Kveld and they went in uh first pass uh they started i think eight chains for oh my gosh uh it's putting me on the spot for uh for yersha <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh for the 91 saz deck right so eight chains and it got absolutely demolished by rector so they came back and they said okay four chains and then uh rector rector wins handily again they played it even Rector wins handily again. And then at the end, I think they were in the four to six chains range. I forget exactly for Rector before it kind of petered out. And I don't, I still think even then in their test games, uh, uh, the mass mutations deck hadn't won, hadn't won yet. And these two folks. So crazy to me. Right. (laughs) I I I didn't see this. I didn't know this story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't share that story, you know, like that was part of the, like the fun when we posted this one was that like we had that backstory and we, we've seen rector play like dozens of games mm-hmm. and um it's just it's funny like what a deck like that can do in the hands of the right player who's super familiar with it yeah um it just yeah it was it was really interesting to see the results for this one and this yeah this one got me, interesting got me good because in a without without that in context i would have gone heavily like i don't know i probably would have gone 10 plus 10 plus on the mass mutation deck easily like you look at this deck all the cards in it are amazing. Like there's no, it doesn't look like yeah. it's a bad house, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it just looks like a pile of like, like awesome sauce. You know, it really does. You know, none of the stats are terrible. Like, okay, Amber Control, a little bit on the lower end, but like next to 1.4 for Rector, you're like, well, you know, 8, 8.8 is, you know, an embarrassment of riches. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're not really lagging on any indicator. Neither deck looks 
like it's got crazy effective power um, and you think you probably have the board control to deal with uh, you know ganger not shenanigans um, but to to hear her, her recap it and kind of some of their notes it's uh, like yeah there are great cards in this deck but it ends up tripping over itself uh, an awful lot mm. and uh, and I feel like that's like even now when I look at it I'm like well I, I probably have to play it out at least once or twice to get a good appreciation for what that means and how it translates into the confidently bidding for a rector, you know? Uh, so so I, I can to, definitely uh, see that in the disc suite with like the shadow of disc and, and the, uh, um, mark of disses and, and everything like the double waking nightmare. Like you'll sometimes get clumps of those cards and it's like, do I play this? And is this the right turn? Because I do I wait until the turn they're about to combo with Ganger not to play mm -hmm. Shadow of Dis, or do you wait until after you're sure they've done the Ganger not combo and you're just delaying until you can get some removal with the Savage Clash? And here's the thing with Drummer not they like their most powerful creature they can make sure that it it is Drummer not and they can or, and they can return Ganger Chieftain to their hand. So Savage Clash isn't even really like a hard removal against King or not. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think this mm -hmm. deck, um, Yerzy, was also played in the Swindle Team event a couple seasons ago mm -hmm. against, um, it was, I think it was me and I think it was UJT and now in Stereo were on the team. And it was the, I want to say it was the reversal match. And now in Stereo was playing this Yerzy deck. And I remember like him having some awkward plays with like the lethalogica that just discarded his savage classes that he like really needed and stuff like oh. that kind of happened a lot um mm. so it has like that other kind of stuff like you were saying it trips over itself jt a bit and like i i witnessed it in that matchup doing things like that where it's like you you have this great efficiency but then the lethalogicas can just discard everything you need that's not logos mm -hmm. mm. and here's and, and this is you know kind of another another thing that doesn't immediately jump off the page here when you're looking at these decks even side by side right like rector has tons of threats like tons of witches you know both whether it's a printed trade or not there's just like you know you see dusk witch dusk witch comes down next to grove keeper and all of a sudden you've got you know one card one card that can take it off the board unless you unless you can fight through it right you've got uh you've got your mark of disses um so i guess two two right but uh you get that plus one counter on it then uh the one damage pip on the adaptoid uh yeah dino yeah. fiend will take care of it yeah a savage so this like interesting yeah yeah super, super interesting and then tons of things of that sort so you know how are you going to deal with the taliga how are you going to deal with the project uh or if they're threatening for the gang or not combo you know how, how do you kind of like handle those threats so i think there's sort of a, a dynamicism and, and kind of threat density that poses really interesting problems to, uh, to your, your, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're the only just, one trying. Only one trying. Yeah. That's, that's Jersey to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's crazy. Cause like, I Jersey definitely looks in my wheelhouse. That's what I would do. But I also have a deck that's exactly like Rector uh and i know that that deck can sneak wins mine's only a 63 sass and i'm still like yo this is still a good deck uh but it's just interesting that this matchup specifically you guys actually have some so a couple of matchups with it mm -hmm. as a data point 
for reference. Yeah, because... I think it's the only one that we actually had any um, yeah any any previous data on. Yeah, but even knowing that story, I think I still <laughs> stick with Jersey. So yeah, yeah. I think I think that just speaks to my playstyle more is is Jersey's playstyle, and maybe like also I just draw better, so I'm sure that'll be fine. It always comes down to that. <laughs> yeah. I, you were looking at the chart there. The spread was pretty big on this one too. Like some people bid five on each, you know, like that's a 10 chain mm. difference between those mm-hmm. six on Rector for one. So yeah, I mean, there's like still a widespread, not quite as much as the last one we looked at, but. Um, yeah. So but what, what I love yeah. about the mix up of short adaptive is sometimes it just ends up being no chains, a no chain matchup. So do you ever play those matchups that are adaptive best of one, and then you're looking at it and you each pick different decks, and then you have that moment you're like, oh crap, did I just make a terrible mistake? Uh, no, I I usually end up picking my deck just because of <laughs> comfortability. So I'm I've just had like, a few where I, I win like, if I pick this one, and I I don't lose if I don't. So I had one. Um, I think I can't remember if I picked my own or my opponent's, but I definitely felt immediately scared whenever my opponent picked the one that I didn't because I thought that it was pretty clear like which one mm-hmm. was the winner which one was better and then when they like picked something different I was like uh oh like did I make a mistake or did they make a mistake I wasn't quite sure yeah that was um there was an event uh that featured that round over round for me it was called the ABR sealed mass mutation extravaganza or whatever <laughs> mm. yeah my I think my default was just I'm gonna play the deck I brought <laughs> Oh, you want to play the other one? Ooh, okay. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to look at one of the last two from the last couple of days. Mayor yeah. versus Grigorov was insane. Like that one is, it's a weird one. I don't know if we can dissect this one in one podcast. That was just such a weird um, matchup there. But I did want to talk about the six and seven because six and seven, I believe, were both unanimous for mm-hmm. one of the decks. And mm-hmm. I kind of wonder, like, how does that, um, you know, when you see something like that, then we're getting into, like, higher chain bids here. Like, how does that change your thought process, Beehawk? Oh, uh, I mean, to me, that deck is clearly better in that matchup. Yeah. And so, like, I, how high do you go, though? Uh, for that one... It's a tough call because you're you're really trying to, um, to me, I feel like I, I I have to flip the script and be like, how many chains, if I had this deck, would I feel okay with that deck having, right? That's the other way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, I feel like Sleepy Analog needs... It, so it has the deep water gruins. It's got some bursts. It has Mookling for amber control. It has uh, Numquid the fair for creature control. I mean the the Maverick Raptors. They're they're just so funny. Uh, <laughs> with the like that's just bizarre. Uh, and I having played a deck with those cards, I I did not like it. It just doesn't. It just doesn't feel like it does anything. It's just creatures, and then. But the logos looks interesting, right? So like you'll be able to fight and, and stuff with the sanctum. You'll be able to do some damage with to make those exploiters go off. But like maybe one 
out of four logos turns you'll be getting value out of those two cards and they take up a spot and then you're not going to be taking the there's going to be no tide changing so like hydro cataloger does next to nothing information exchange sure that's basically the best cards in this matchup uh but yeah it, it so like what i'm looking at is this deck needs some help and you need to slow down this other deck by a pretty significant margin for it to win i i, I would say at least at least seven chains like i might go as high as eight i think i went 11 on this 11 i i can't i i don't re recall i think i may have been the 11 there um maybe 10 it was a lot i remember um i think the one thing that scared me from going more was actually the two deep water groans in the beach day because yeah. i feel like the chinese deck here like it's sure it's got like the red pennies um but like it it's kind of hard if you're chained if you have like four card hand and then they just drop down a groon a beach day and a groon and then suddenly they have like enough for a key right there just from two cards so like sure. to me that was like the scarier part about going too high you know because the the chinese deck I, I think it's switchblade is what we put it in as which is the translation thanks to google translate um switchblade was like once the auto encoder it gets rolling and if it can archive the archivist it's just like playing six or eight cards a turn but when you're taking if you start with like 10 12 chains like can you put that together and i think the one thing that i would worry about in a, in a deck like that that's like sure you need you have the auto encoder and you can get it rolling is like does the other deck have the ability to rush to the point where you just don't have time to find it and that's kind of what the groons in the beach day like sort of signal to me is like a red flag maybe that's yeah. like not enough cards maybe i, I should have been looking for well for so like rush. but that's that's assuming a perfect draw in my opinion like and even if they get a key they still have to get two more <laughs> and i just don't really see it happening even at even so like 11 cards you're you, you 11 change you have two less cards uh, yeah so but it's got 18 efficiency that's crazy yeah yeah i i feel like i against in this matchup you could go as high as as 12 um but it just depends on the draws, you know? Like, like I feel like this matchup, it could be, like, Sleepy Analog. Let's say, best case scenario for Analog, it has 12 chains. Or, or the, what would you guys call it? The switch, the switch Chinese blade. Switchblade, yeah. Switchblade, okay. So Switchblade um, just draws garbage, mulligans into garbage, doesn't get any of its efficiency, leads with, miasma bomb doom sigil maybe i don't know <laughs> like it, it it could be in one turn sleepy analog manages to get a key that's like best case versus worst case but then even at four cards it can wipe with savage clash it has it just has these random cards the only thing that i fear is like as a hand of gloriana's attendant the Doom Sigils, Miasma Bomb, all the cards that don't really do anything uh, early. Early enough to matter. But I feel yeah. like 
before the third key, I mean, Sleepy Animalog has to be moving pretty quickly. It's not going to do it in three turns at only 19 efficiency or 19 expected amber. It's going to take at least six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like by turn five, uh, Switchblade could stabilize. And that's all it needs is just stabilize. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, we have some some folks in the chat saying, yeah, 9 to 12. I, I think, you know, to be honest, I think you could make a decent argument you know, not having played the match, anything from in kind of the six to twelve range that we're seeing here. Like I think, yeah, and maybe nine, maybe right around a nine is a sweet spot. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I feel like anything less than seven is a mistake, uh, and mm-hmm. and the reason why is because just having you're only having two less cards for one turn. I don't know how many times I've been playing a game, I get binding ironed, and I don't even notice. Yeah. Like yeah. having one card less isn't that debilitating, but having two cards less for for multiple turns is. Yep. So Definitely. interesting. Maybe maybe a interesting one for a Data Forge crossover at some point. But the effects. It's kind of interesting to think about the effects of a uh, of chains at different points in the game, right? Like the chains at the beginning. Uh, the effects of them. Maybe it depends on what else is in your deck, but you know, linger and, and have a tail that lasts lasts for longer. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd take the tide every turn if I knew there's one one turn left. Every time if I knew there was one turn left in the game, you know? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I I definitely see where having a Dark Tidings deck in a, so in a game where chains are probably going to be flung around for the tide to fight for it or whatever, you would almost need a deck that requires the opponent have to take the tide cards like static collection array like that is a must interact with the tide card mm-hmm. and i feel like those kinds of effects could really play with the chain bidding a little bit I'm not sure how much though i i haven't done enough so yeah, yeah or, or one of the reasons like why i I do, and I know, I know, or at least I want to say, Bihawk, that you're not a huge fan of the Tide mechanic. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll have a, a DT, DT discussion later. But one of the reasons I'd like it is that it's a game, it's a, it's a mechanic that interacts with kind of like the primary balancing mechanism, whether it's good or bad, it's what we've got for the moment of the game. Mm-hmm. So kind of, yeah. whether it's good or bad, it's interesting in, in that regard. Um, so Yeah, no, I, I totally get it as a balancing mechanic. I just feel like, so dark tidings, the card should be better with the tide, <laughs> not the same with the tide. Yeah, I think that was a lot of it. I felt was, I personally I thought it was a good balance compared to some of the Coda stuff, like the Chelonia versus Hunting Witch. Yeah, like I would I would probably, I think Chelonia is better to be honest with you, um, just because of the elusive. Um, mm-hmm. But like having to take those chains for it to me felt like a nice trade-off. I think it was interesting. It added a strategic wrinkle to it. Um, but when you're playing like DT versus non-DT, then you know, there's only going to be usually one time. Like yeah, like it. I almost never would take the tide if if they have a Chelonia out and I can't kill it right away. Like yeah, it, it just doesn't seem like it would ever be worth it. Like I made a list of the number of cards that like really force you to take the tide if you're not playing with dark tidings mm-hmm. and the list was like five cards it yeah. was like dry the river and maybe sometimes stat collection array and medicus lacus and yeah. like two others that was yeah. about it 
those are must-haves. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Everything else they uh, can just raise before they use their cards, and it's like, okay, you just took three chains, and they get to do what they want to do anyway. Right, especially when they have like the static effects, like Bilga Warden, and the the one that can fight to raise the tide. Like, there's just there's some effects that you can see on the board. It's like there's almost no point. They're going to be able to take the tide without any chains. Yeah. And so to me. Whenever I'm playing a Dark Tidings game, I almost always assume I'm just not going to interact with the Tide. Because if I take three chains one time, that for three that is preventing one card three times. That could have been the answer I needed that much sooner. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rare that I think you want to take it. Uh, I see a lot of people proactively take the Tide against me. Um, like in anticipation of me, I don't know, playing a Sea Urchin or something like that. And... It's almost never the right call. No. But um, it is an interesting proposal using a Dark Tidings deck and in, in adaptive best of one. That is... I, yeah, I do love it for adaptive. Um, there, it's funny you mentioned the static collection, right? There is one of these shorts. I think it was number four, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Guadalupe versus Denizag. And Guadalupe is like chock full of cards like the static collection array, Mechabui tide warp and it just kind of like really just muddies the waters of like how do you play against those kind of tide related artifacts mm. um and so I, yeah. I think it's a really interesting um deck for adaptive just because of the complexity and like if someone else is playing with or against it it's very confusing what you should do against it because it's kind of just a really unique unfamiliar situation for a lot of people yeah no i totally i love picking decks where the opponent might be familiar with the cards, uh, but when when like let's I have a I have a deck that I might play later. Uh, it I I'm struggling to talk because I want to talk about it, so I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> so well, I have a deck. Game. One more I'm point. Talk about one more oh. point here, and then we'll uh, we can switch over to maybe the game, and uh, okay. maybe we'll do our chain bidding, and then and then dis discuss it. But the last thing I, I kind of wanted to touch on for this matchup specifically, this was the the sixth one, uh, Switchblade, the Chinese deck for Sleepy Anawag. Um, yeah, really interesting when there's a big big disparity in raw power level, and you know one of the things that I look for to give me kind of some confidence in going to a chain range that's like nine to twelve. Is like what's the what's the catch up mechanism look like? How does how does the deck that is going to be heavily changed like get back into the game and like reverse the momentum, right? Mm. Um, and so you know, Anawag, yeah, there's some burst potential. Yeah, you got the Gruens, you got the Beach Day, you've got the, the Ambermancies with your Shark, which is kind of fun. Um, but really, it's like I'm gonna play lots of creatures. I'm hoping to reap, and you've got like the Savage Clash. So it's like good luck finding the Savage Clash before I've before I've burst far enough ahead for you to catch up and that's like that that was kind of the trade-off I was trying to consider with this one I, I think I landed I don't know in the eight or nine range um, so I'm, I'm right there with you but I think it's interesting and gets back to something uh, you were mentioning before Behawk about like you know changes the balancing mechanism does it does it really do a good job of balancing does it uh, emphasize kind of like heighten the variance uh, of the mm -hmm. matchup or what but this is one where i see like maybe maybe it kind of does kind of lean into the variance of the matchup because i think i want to say you know in the 9 to 12 range i think sleepy analog has like real chances at stealing 
or at least making it interesting, like super interesting. Yeah, I think. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with that. That's, and it's one of those things where like, also, how are they going to uh, play the deck? And I mean, Sleepy Analog, you, we were all talking about it as it getting like the best case scenario. Right. But it could also <laughs> have like, two information exchange to anomaly exploiter and it's opening hand or, or, or something like it, it does a two, two, two or two, one, two, where it's just like, uh, these are awkward cards, I'm not getting any value out of these. And then all of a sudden switchblade is in it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, we don't need to talk about it cause I know we do want to get to the game, but I just found it entertaining that the last one from today had a, a bit as high as 16, which was the mm-hmm. highest we had of any. Um, it's a lot of chains. That is. I feel like that's too many. It's a uh, yeah. Let's run through the rest real quick. Sixteen. Seventeen. A big. Isn't is a big range? I, I'm pretty sure eighteen is. What? <laughs> Who did this? Who? Somebody. It's just. But let's look at the cards. I see. Yeah. So Abelson is the one we were talking about earlier with like the auto encoder and the armory officer now on two platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, it can draw a ton of cards. Um, yeah. So it's, it has like so much efficiency. The 18 is like, if you get the auto encoder early, the 18 is low. Like it's underrated in that regard. Cause like the double resurgence with the auto encoder is just like, you just churn through everything so fast. Oh, fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's got, tons of efficiency with it and then the other one uh triptobolus um uh, worlds collide brobnar i saw that and i kind of chuckled because i was like oh man we're putting a worlds collide brobnar in here um yeah i don't think i went as high as 17 i i think i may have put 11 for this one and it yeah i think i think i was one of the 11s on this one okay. i think it was the, the lack of artifact control and um just the lack of a real burst ability from Triptobolus, like showed me that there's going to be a lot of time for Abelson to find its feet and, um, you know, use those effervescent principles and the Pismire to like, you know, make this one last to the point where Abelson was just out of chains and it could just kind of roll. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like people just really hate the, the Brobnar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think it was necessarily that Abelson is insane. It, it looks honestly like a somewhat typical high-powered mass mutation deck. It's not, mm-hmm. to me, yeah. it's not like cream of the crop. It's right up there in the mix of being a good deck. Uh, yeah. I, I dislike Savage Clash in the copies of two. Uh and the double effervescent principle means that it's just going to slow the game down. I love that style, though. Like, to me, I love effervescent principle. I think most... I'm probably higher on it than most people. Um, but I still think your, like, evaluation of it is, is very good here as well. Like, it's... Yeah, it's a good value mass mutation deck. It does some cool things. It's not, like, a high-end Archon type of deck, but it can do a lot of It can do cool things. things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but sure. I feel like this Worlds Collide Brabnar deck could do some fun stuff, especially with that Nature's Call, Triple Mustic Remook, and and the Double Exhum, and 
Even just like triple ganger chieftain, that's just kind of fun to see. Even with like the flex and berserker slam, like that's one of the best cards in Worlds Collide. Even though it's in Brabnar, that's the only downside of that card. But you can do some fun stuff with the pimpakas, and I don't know. The yeah. the disc isn't terrible. It's not like I've seen plenty of decks of Triptobolus quality in sealed. And Absolutely. Done just fine with them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a high creature count, pretty good creature control. So yeah, in a sealed game, that's you know, you could get a lot worse than that. Mm-hmm. It's a fun deck. I've played it a number of times. <clears throat> uh it can trip over itself, trip to bullets over itself, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, with the Mermooks driving up its own key cost and struggling with Amber Generation. Um, but interesting, too, uh, this is a matchup where I kind of like Volcano. You know, there's like one creature in Abelson that Volcano doesn't kill. Um, and if Abelson's aren't mm. taking chains, like, I, I, I'd play the Volcano to speed bump Abelson. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but... a wipe like that's really good against Abelson. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, Zox says slowing the game down is good if you have ten chains. Completely agree. Like yeah. the effervescent principles, like taking an extra chain for that to take away like five or six amber from from them when it could take that other deck like a couple turns to get that much amber. I, I agree. I think that's a really good thing. Slow the game down as much as you can until you can like shed a lot of those chains. So yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Definitely. All right. All right. So, so we should switch yeah. gears. Uh, send salutations to the folks in uh, podcast land thanks for joining us with your podcatcher of choice yeah podcasters missing out go to youtube watch (laughs) the game 